Views and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. For WMUA News, I'm Bonnie Chen. This is the second installment of our three-part pandemic series. Coming up, you'll hear about how a family is adjusting to online elementary schooling and how a local business in Hopkinton, Massachusetts is adapting to the impact of COVID-19 on small businesses. Stay tuned. Recent retiree and grandmother Lynn Thambesh expected relaxation in her future after working 20 years as a high school secretary. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and the need for virtual learning, she spends her weekdays sitting at her daughter's dining room table, one inch deep in crayons, Play-Doh, and computer wires, with her five and six-year-old grandsons. Lynn wears a bright red headphone in one ear to listen to first grader Connor Clements' class, while listening to kindergartner Cole Clements' in the other. She needs to monitor both boys throughout the day to ensure they both follow instructions. I spent a day with my mom, Lynn, and my nephews, Connor and Cole, during their first week of remote education. I am exhausted. This is a a full day project for me. I can't leave to to do anything. It's hard, very hard. Students of Woburn, Massachusetts returned to school September 21st, 2020. The Woburn School Committee voted for a hybrid learning method that brings students into school two days a week and remains online the other three. Reeves Elementary School nurse, Allison Clements, opted for an entirely remote education for her young sons, Connor and Cole. I'm concerned if we get positive cases, then it'll spread like wildfire. It's definitely a different ball game than it usually is. Connor and Cole start school at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday and finish six and a half hours later at 2.30 p.m. Students do not interact with each other during the school day. They cannot unmute unless answering a question from the teacher. Connor and Cole struggle to sit still and stay quiet for lessons from the moment they enter their morning meetings. You start at eight and you have to wait two almost two whole hours for a break. Kindergartner Cole still struggles to understand that these meetings are his school day. He refuses to speak to his teacher. About 20 minutes into his morning meeting, Cole tells Lynn he is done with meetings for the day. He refers to his classmates as his students, like a game of school rather than the real thing. The kindergartner, he has no idea how to do this. He's distracted, he's bored, he, he's not listening to what the teacher is saying. This is definitely not an ideal way to teach these kids. The school day consists of two-hour blocks led by their teachers combined with self-guided learning on programs designed for homeschool education, such as Clever, Freckle, and Seesaw. This one I can do on. I can do on Clever, mm-hmm. Freckle, me. Cool, so what do you do on those things? Nothing. Connor and Cole actually use technology frequently. 
They often show Lynn how to use their school software rather than the other way around. Kids are brought up on computers now, so the first grader, he knows so much and he knows exactly how to um, to do what the teacher is saying, the, the kindergartner not so much. Students receive breaks between each two-hour learning block. Connor and Cole spend recess, a break called Tech Break, and lunch playing with toys, eating snacks, and convincing Lynn to let them play video games on their television until their meetings resume. What is your favorite thing about school? The Tech Break. Tech Break. First grader Connor feels the isolation of quarantine since he's already had a year as a normal student. He says online learning makes him feel somewhere between happy and sad. Is there anything that you're looking forward to in school this year? Sitting at a table with my friends in person. Woburn Public Schools plan to remain hybrid until at least the end of the calendar year. The school committee plans tentatively for a phased school reopening after Christmas. They have not yet released specifics on this plan at this time. Allison feels conflicted about when her sons may return to school in person. As a mom, I was hopeful that it would be after Christmas. As a nurse, I'm not sure that will be the case. I think we have to see how the fall goes. Allison worries a spike in cases this winter might impact when her sons return to school. She says remote learning proves challenging for everyone, parents, teachers, and students. Do you think school is hard? No. I think it's easy. That's why. Because my, cause my students are special. For WMUA News, I'm Julia Sullivan. The COVID pandemic has completely redefined business as usual. Small businesses struggle amid reduced operations and a lack of new government stimulus checks. A Yelp economic impact report shows COVID permanently closed 60% of businesses as of late August. The remainder survive in part by adapting how they reach their customers. However, one Hockington, Massachusetts business run by Beth Deleva has reached its customers by reconnecting other small businesses to their communities. Each week we tried to use different businesses. So the idea wasn't just to support one business, it was to see how many different businesses I could give a little bit of boost to. As we were doing that and as I contacted new businesses each week, I also had some businesses hearing about it and reaching out to me to participate. Deleva owns Hometown Hospitality, a service business that normally welcomes new residents to surrounding towns through in-person meetings and information packages on the community. However, that role has shifted due to pandemic restrictions. Deleva now works with small businesses to deliver packages of food, flowers, and small gifts to various Metro West Boston communities. She reached out to these businesses in April. in the first week alone and put over $110,000 back into the local economy last spring. Deleva pays her partners in full for each piece of the package they provide. 
These frequently contain meals from local restaurants, flowers from florists or boutiques, dessert from ice cream or sweet shops, and small knickknacks from gift shops. I think the most important thing is that it brings in a nice, healthy boost to their everyday business. I think they appreciate just the fact that we're creating awareness that these businesses are still open. Lisa Churchill owns one of the participating businesses, an Ashland flower and gift boutique called Blush Bouquets. She feels grateful for the program helping her sustain her business. Every little bit helps. And it's not just financial. It's the support of your community. It's people thinking of my business. It's people being aware of my business. That level of awareness is probably even more helpful than the financial aspect of it. Marketing and branding strategist Adam Lofquist describes hometown hospitality's approach as a top-down rethinking of the who, what, and how of business operations. Lofquist also stresses balancing a positive attitude with the right message to consumers. If you remember back when COVID first hit, there were a bunch of commercials, and they all pretty much sounded the same. Make sure that you're being authentic with your communication. Make sure that you're targeting your target market and staying engaged with them. Lofquist considers hometown hospitality a great example of a business pivoting in the right areas, still providing value to their customers, but in a way compatible with pandemic realities. I think that points out an organization that is um, very innovative and is very much listening to the customers. The second thing it does is that if you look at the core that they do, they're really trying to increase business and trying to get people aware of the local businesses in their area. But they're changing their, their what and their, and their how. In other words, businesses can still pursue the causes they believe in while reassessing what they provide and how they sell it. What they're doing is they're looking at their why saying we can still do this. We just have to adapt how we do it. That's going to be the trend that we see the successful organizations take. Hometown Hospitality's Family Package Program returned October 16th after taking a hiatus following Father's Day. They managed to sell 110 packages, completely selling out, in the meantime, Deleva continues brainstorming new ideas to keep the program fresh for everyone. She also encourages new businesses to partner with her in the Family Package Program. She wants to help out as many of these small businesses as she can. For WMUA News, I'm John Boudet. Stick around to hear the story of a small business opening despite a global pandemic and the difficulties health professionals are facing during the time of coronavirus. Small businesses struggled to survive during COVID-19. According to the Yelp Economic Impact Report, over 160,000 small businesses have closed since March 1st due to COVID-19. In an interview with CNBC, Former CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, says a drastic percent of small businesses will close indefinitely. I suspect that we could see a situation around the country in which approximately 30% or more of small independent retailers and or restaurants never reopen. That makes my mom's story, who opened her own business during the height of COVID-19, a surprising one. Rita Biagioni owns and runs a healthy beverage bar called Great Road Nutrition. The bar serves protein smoothies and energy-boosting teas to customers in Littleton, Massachusetts. It's definitely something that fuels you for the day, makes you feel good, uh, keeps you satisfied, and definitely provides great energy and mental clarity and focus. 
The biggest question Bia Joni often gets is why she opened a business in the middle of a global pandemic. However, Bia Joni opened her business despite COVID-19. She signed her lease in February and had contractors lined up and ready to go, but then COVID-19 hit in March, which brought everything to a screeching halt. She juggled remote inspectors and socially distancing her contractors to get her place up and running. The train was already moving down the tracks and really what were my options? My landlord wanted the rent. We've signed the lease, we need to move forward and do whatever it takes. After opening on May 18, 2020, Great Green Nutrition sees more than 1,000 new customers with more than 1,400 followers on Facebook and more than 900 followers on Instagram. She attributes the business's busyness to customers' user-generated social media posts, including customers posting pictures of their drinks to their own accounts. And she says some of the success might be from the pandemic itself. Another reason I think we've been so busy is um, not only uh, are people home and wanting to take care of their health, I also feel people were self-quarantining in the beginning of COVID, not knowing uh, you know, how things spread. So the fact that they could come in in a safe environment with a takeout situation and see another human being who is friendly and welcoming, I think that had a lot to do with our success here as well. However, opening and maintaining a business in the middle of a global pandemic comes with its fair shares of struggles, of course. The supplies Biagioni needs are backordered to make and distribute beverages such as cups and lids. Things are taking way longer. Like one of our companies is two, backordered two months. Um, now there is even uh, restrictions on the quantities we can order. So it's really having to be creative and think outside the box to make sure we don't run out of what we need to not only prepare the products, but also to serve them. As for the setup of Great Road Nutrition, customers walk into a tiny lobby filled with autumn decorations and a wall with a cutout hole acts as a takeout window in the back. Decorative leaves hang off Edison bulb lights strung around the room and mini pumpkins adorn the small round cafe style tables. Decorative moss hangs on the left side of the lobby alongside a sign reading, be grateful. A small gray suede couch sits underneath the reminder, but the furniture and decorations aren't the first thing customers notice. The greeting customers receive stands above the rest. In a world without COVID-19, Great Road Nutrition's layout would be very different. Behind the takeout window, a bar with corrugated metal sides lies with empty stools around it just waiting for people to sit and gather. Bia Joni says her ideal setup would be something out of the show Cheers. So it's a place where people are known by their first name, are welcomed, uh, are made to feel good. And so people would walk in, be able to walk right up to the bar, look at the menu, place their order, and either sit and consume their healthy beverages there or take them to go. Uh, so really a place for people to hang out and, um, and really everybody feel validated and accepted. While Great Road Nutrition continues to serve takeout, Biagioni keeps a close eye on COVID-19 statistics in the area, which will help her determine future plans of opening the bar to full capacity. Like most in the state, Littleton's positive cases are on the rise. However, Biagioni hopes to have the bar fully open in time for the new year to start 2021 off right. For WMUA News, I'm Nicole Biagioni.
Working in healthcare is a challenge in itself, but working in healthcare during a pandemic is a different story. The United States has been overrun with coronavirus cases since March 2020, and doctors all over the country struggle to treat their patients. As of October 2020, the death toll in the United States is now over 1 million. At Dot House Health Center in Dorchester, Massachusetts, my sister and family nurse practitioner, Dr. Rachel Wasserman, explains why dealing with the pandemic is so difficult. In medicine, we're taught like to always follow what we call evidence-based guidelines. So um, base our clinical decisions on research and like the findings of research. But the problem with COVID is that it's so new So they're really only just starting to do the research and figuring out, you know, things as we go. And that was what was so scary about it, especially at the beginnings that no one really knew what it was and how it was spread and who would be affected. Rachel is 29 years old and graduated from her nursing program at UMass Medical School in 2019. She joined Dodd House as a family nurse practitioner after graduation and has worked there since. Dodd House is located among what is considered in the healthcare field to be an underserved population. Many people in the area have limited access to affordable healthcare due to socioeconomic factors like language barriers or simply a lack of insurance. The center receives federal funding and many patients are on Medicaid. More than half of the patients speak a primary language other than English. Rachel says at the peak of the pandemic, 50% of COVID tests conducted at Dot House were coming back positive. But yeah, so it's a lot of um, low-income guilds or essential workers who live in crowded housing situations. So unfortunately... Like, I think it was a perfect storm of all those things of why these patients um, got so disproportionately affected compared to, like, other populations. According to Boston Public Health Commission research, African Americans and Latino Americans each make up about one-third of total COVID cases in Boston, even though both groups make up less than 25% of the city's population. More than half of the known COVID deaths in Boston are people of color. Rachel works with patients who are more medically and socially complex than usual. So far in 2020, two of these patients have died of coronavirus. These these are two patients that I talked with on the phone or saw like at least once a month. So I knew them a little more than like an average patient. so it was extra upsetting when they um, passed away from coronavirus because neither of them, I mean, they both were had plenty of medical issues, but they weren't necessarily like going to die anytime soon if it weren't for getting coronavirus. Both patients contracted the coronavirus at rehab centers they were admitted to for other health problems. The second patient, an elderly man in his 80s, was sent to rehab after he visited urgent care dot house for a minor issue back in April. It was a bit more frustrating because, um, you know, I spent a lot of time on the phone with him 
talking about how he needed to stay home and stay away from the health clinic and the emergency room. Dodhouse introduced telemedicine, which is when patients can have their appointments over the phone as a COVID-friendly way for patients to virtually meet with a healthcare provider. Like we have a high no-show rate and it's due to a lot of different factors, but a lot of patients in our patient demographic like don't have cars and they can't afford the bus and they can't take off work because they don't have a job with benefits and they have four kids at home. So it's just, it's hard for them to come into the clinic. Rachel is still treating COVID patients at the clinic and over the phone, but the number of COVID cases seen by the health center is decreasing. For WMUA News, I'm Stephanie Wasserman. Music for this week's program was provided by IG88Gov, Lee Rosevear, and Mr. Oralization. Tune in next week for the final installment of our three-part pandemic series.